Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 19. Now, if you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's actually an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis, and the New Testament starts with Matthew. And so Matthew's in the New Testament. Matthew became a follower of Jesus before he was a follower of Jesus. He was actually a tax collector. And his own people despised tax collectors because they took money from their people and gave it to the Romans. And those finances were used to help Rome occupy their own territory. So by many people, he was viewed as a traitor. Well, he has this encounter with Jesus. He becomes one of the original 12 apostles, begins to follow Jesus, lays all of that down, laid aside his old flames, picked up the new fire, and begins to follow Jesus. And then he writes this eyewitness account that we call the Gospel of Matthew because it's what he saw, what he experienced personally. So in Matthew 19, verse 13, it says this, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus. So, so I, you know, here's kind of interesting pictures that they brought their kids to Jesus. They brought them there. They, they brought them there and drop them off and say, hey, see, they brought them there. They brought their children to Jesus. And it goes on to say this, so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Everybody say, don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. So we have this picture of Jesus is there, he's ministering, and all of a sudden parents be bring, begin to bring their kids to him and want to pray, you know, want him to pray for their children. And, and so the disciples see this and they're like, you know, they, it says that they, you know, he, they scolded the parents, like, hey, don't, don't do this. And I'm sure they meant well, I'm sure they're trying to do well, but and the reality of it is, is that it wasn't what Jesus wanted at all. Matter of fact, he stopped him and said, don't, you know, don't keep him from coming to me. And, and, you know, and, I, and again, I love the local church. I love the local church, not, you know, not just this one. I love churches. You know, I, just, I think they're, they're, you know, there's, well, they're just full of hypocrites. Well, it, it, you know, n- no. I mean, are there some there? Yes. Yes, there are some hypocrites there. But a lot of people are just, you know, they're just areas they need to grow in. You know, that doesn't mean they're hypocrites. You know, and um, yeah, anyway, I don't get it. I could really, I could preach a whole message on that. Anyway, so, and if you think they're full of hypocrites, you wouldn't like me when it's all said and done. <laughs> anyway, so, but, but it was just one of those things that, that you know, he, he, you know, he, he got on to the disciples. And I think sometimes churches can be this way. Like I talked about last week, you know, one thing about kids, man, I mean, you know, that, you know, kids are, and, and you know, we love kids here. But let's be honest, man, they're messy. They break stuff. They're loud. They do all sorts of things, you know, and, and, you know, and you can't turn your back on them. I mean, you know, just, uh, and not because they're going to hurt you or anything, but you try to make sure they don't hurt themselves or, you know, somebody else. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just all of these, you know, there's effort that, that it takes. And so they can be disruptive. They don't, they haven't always grown to social norms and have an awareness of that. And so for whatever reason, I'm sure the disciples thought they were doing what they were supposed to. And Jesus had to correct their thinking and say, no, I want them. I want them. So one of the reasons we say, why kids? Well, if you're taking notes, number one, and this seems so basic, but is it? Because I don't know if we get this in the body of Christ. I think we get it here, and that, but we're going to talk about it, you know, every year or two just to remind us that we need this. Number one is we're called to bring kids to Jesus. He said, look, don't, don't stop them. In other words, we shouldn't do anything that gets in the way of them coming to Jesus. It gets in the way of being drawn to them. You know, it's that you know, we need to think about their world and we need to minister to them. We need to be willing to, to serve and say yes 
to God whenever he deals with us. You know, it's, we talked last week about Samuel and how God was speaking to him, but Samuel didn't know it was God. So what did Samuel do? He ran to the first adult in the room. I think part of the challenge we have right now is that our kids, man, that one of the reasons why we see such a huge number of them getting distracted in their faith is because there aren't any adults that, are, that, that have a relationship with God that are engaged enough to be available. So they're going to other people to get their questions answered, people that don't know God. It'd be like if you came up and asked me, like, hey, tell me all you know about Michael Jordan. Well, I know who Michael Jordan is, but I don't know Michael Jordan. There's people that know who God is when we talk, but they don't know him. And so we do that, and so we want to make sure as a church that there's not anything we do that gets in the way of them being brought to Jesus. And we see that as an obligation, as a responsibility, as something that God has called us to do. And he said this, he said one thing about him is, he said, man, this is how, you know, this is how I want you to view the kingdom, the way the kids view kingdom. He said, what does that mean? Well, one thing about kids, man, they view things from a relational standpoint. I've said this before, but if you're a parent, you know, when your kids were little, maybe, you know, you would go in and the room would be messed up again and you just cleaned it up 15 minutes earlier. You're like, oh man, look at this place. It's trashed again. You know, hey, clean this room up. Okay, I'm sorry. Can I have a toy? What? Can I, can I have a toy? No, no, you, you trash the room. What, can you have a toy? You know why they ask? Because they're not thinking about deserve. They're thinking about relationship. If it were me, they'd be like, I hope they would think, well, you're, you're my dad. You've been good to me. You're the one that gets me stuff. All those things are true. And that's where our father is. You know, our father doesn't do it because we deserve it. We don't get what we deserve, thankfully. But often, even when we pray, our prayers are like, well, I know God won't do this for me. I don't deserve this. That's not how a child thinks. A little kid doesn't think, hey, have I been good enough for this lately? We teach them that over time. But instinctively, that's not who they are. And Jesus said, this is how you should approach the kingdom, like kids do. So he said, bring him to me. And it says this about him, that, that he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. He, it wasn't just how you guys can come and hang out with us. He was engaged with them. He, he was connected. He, he looked into those little eyes and just put his hands on them and prayed for them and blessed them and you know, and, and I, I've got a feeling that there's something about Jesus, you know, that he was, he was fun for kids. You know, because kids, you know, when you're little, you don't know to <laughs> put on the dog. Our, our granddaughter, Ellie, um, she was, uh, she wanted something done with her feet. And so, um, wasn't a full-blown pedicure, but they do like a kid's pedicure. I don't know why. But, but there was a girl that she wanted to do her pedicure. Well, she shows up, and um, that girl's either not there or not available. And so the lady that does it, 
I'm, I'm sure it was fine and, and a good job at that time. And I love Ellie, but man, she's active. I mean, she's like real active. And so, and I'm, I would imagine it's hard to mess with a kid's feet when they're so active. And so this lady's having to get on to her, and, and the, the lady that, um, and finally Ellie looks at her and she goes, I wish the other lady was here. And so it just, <laughs> just says, that, <laughs> says that to her personally, right? But kids want to be around Jesus. It's because he engaged in their world. He, he blessed them. He, he engaged with them, and he still does to this day engage with kids. We're called as a church to bring them into his presence, to bring them there. To, to do that, that we're called to introduce them to Jesus into a relationship with him. And we're not, so don't, don't get in their way. We're not going to do anything that gets in the way of them getting there. Matter of fact, we're supposed to clear the trail, create a path, engage in them. So number one is this, is that we're called to bring kids to Jesus. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. You're in Matthew 19. Let's go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 40. It says, anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. This is Jesus talking. He said, if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you'll be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness... You'll be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least, everybody say the least, to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Now, I think King James says like to, to one of these little ones. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that that's not necessarily in reference to season of life, but what it is in reference to people that we really have nothing to gain from. In other words, they can't pay us back. There's, we're, not, we're not trying to get anything from them. But he said there's a, re, but you know, I think kids qualify, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, kids show up in, at, at a church and, you know, and they're huge givers. You know, it's not like that, you know, there's just all of these things they can do. In other words, that, that you're engaging in children's lives, engaging in their lives, and there's not an immediate reward or return on that, Typically. But Jesus said that as you do that, as he said, when you're engaged in people that you, they can't do anything back, he said, if you give a, even a cup of cold water to him, he said, there's a reward in that. In other words, it doesn't go unnoticed by God. He sees it. There's a, there's a blessing that comes with it, a reward that comes with it. There's something about God's heart that when we, when we engage in people's lives that, that, you know, that can't do in return it's it's a reflection of who he is i i was uh, i had a friend that was uh, in the ministry and he um he dropped out of the ministry became an agnostic and he does a 
he does a podcast, and he asked if I would do a podcast with him. And I said, sure. And so uh, he said, you know, he said, I'm not, I'm not looking to, you know, I, I, you know we're, not, we're not trying to argue with each other, persuade each other. He said, I'm going to send you some questions ahead of time that I want you to answer. He said, they're just questions that I just can't resolve with, you know, with myself. And so uh, I want to know how you resolve them. And so, you know, he interviewed me. It was about a two-hour thing. And, you know, one of the things he said was, he said, you know, he said, people say, well, you know, if you go to God, you'll be blessed and, and that type of thing. And I still believe that there is a blessing with that. But he said, but he said the truth of the matter is, he said, I'm, I, you know, I, I consider myself an agnostic and I feel like my life is still blessed. And I told him, I said, well, I don't think God quit loving you just because you turned your back on him. Now, I'm not saying you're saved or anything like that. But Jesus said, he said, he makes the sun, the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. The righteous and the unrighteous. So he still sees you. You may, you may not believe in him, but he's still pursuing you. So that's God's heart that he doesn't just do for people that, you know, are like leaned into him. He's on the righteous and the unrighteous. Again, that doesn't mean everybody's got a relationship with him. And that matters. But in his way with kids, he, one of the scriptures says this, that if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. And the Lord will repay you. So th there's something about reaching people. And kids, you know, they're, they're huge in this category. That, that in reaching them, because there's not anything they can do in return, that there's a reward in that, that... God rewards us for being good to kids. He takes it very personally. How we deal with children. Jesus said this. He said that kids, that their angel's face always appears in the presence of the Father. It's wild to think kids have an angel assigned to them. When, uh, you know, he said this. He said if you offend one of these little ones, he said it would be better if you had like a millstone wrapped around your neck and cast into the ocean i went and watched uh, i think it's called the sound of freedom and that's such a moving movie I'm, I'm not kidding probably the first 15 or 20 minutes man i wanted to just stand up and just yell in the movie this has to stop but there's there's just something about kids that god takes personally Well, Pastor Rick, why does all this suffering take place with children, that kind of thing? Well, for one thing, he's entrusted us to be stewards. He's entrusted us with that. And when we fail, there's not, it's not like there's a plan B. He's entrusted us. And so one of the reasons we want to reach kids is because Jesus sees that. There's, there's a reward. It's He's not indifferent to it. He's, he's engaged with that. And the wild thing about kids, too, a lot of times is that they haven't learned to be grateful yet or to even value the things they're supposed to value. And so you do it a lot of times, and there's not a thank you attached with it or whatever. That doesn't come until decades later sometimes when there's this awareness of, oh, you're helping us. They helped me. I wish they were here. I would tell them thank you. But we as a church, we're, we're called to do it. I think that as, 
that our future, I mean, I think right now is, is attached to our willingness to do that. But not just right now, but tomorrow is attached to it. And what we do, it's what God's called us to do as a church, to be that, to do that. And so if you give even a cup of cold water, Kool-Aid or juice or whatever, you know, one of the least of my followers, you'll be rewarded. So God's called us for that. So number two is God rewards us for being good to kids. Let's look at this third one. We'll spend a few minutes on this one. We'll close with this. Go to Mark 5. You're in Matthew. Mark is the next book over. Like, I think Mark 5, that chapter may be one of my favorite chapters. There's just so much stuff in there, so many things that you just see Jesus doing this in this person's life and this in this person's life. And so and he had just cast um, all of these demons out of this guy um, in, a, uh, uh, in a place called Gadara. And so it was the transformation of that guy's life was so incredible that it, it kind of freaked the people out. They were like, this dude is so different that they, they told Jesus, you need to go. You got to leave. They were just, it was just that transforming that it freaked him out. So he gets in the boat with his disciples. They go back to the other side. And so in Mark 5, verse, we'll read 21 through 24, and then we'll skip down to 35. So 21 says this, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter's dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed him, crowding around him. Now, so I want you to stop right here. And again, let's kind of put this in context. You know, I think it's, if you study scripture at all and understand history at all, that there were any people that were adversarial to Jesus and to his calling and what he was called to do, it was the religious leaders. It was the scribes. It was the Pharisees. It was the rulers of the synagogue. And Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, we don't know anything about his background. I mean, he may have been one of the rare individuals that was actually a believer that engaged in that and that type of thing. But also, there's a huge possibility that he was one of the people that, did, that was adversarial towards Jesus, towards who he is and what he was doing, that he was one of those that were resistant to him. And yet, yet here he is, and if nothing else, going before Jesus, even if he was secretly for him, we know of one named Nicodemus that was so politically dangerous for him to meet with Jesus, he met with him at night. So here's Jairus publicly in front of all of these people. Why would he do that? Because his daughter had a need, and it wasn't a need that the synagogue could fix, that his political standing could fix. It wasn't a need that anybody that would give him favor or promotion could impact. His daughter's need was so desperate that he was willing to put all of that aside and go be with Jesus and say, my daughter's about to die, just come and lay your hands on her. In other words, come to my house. There's nothing more intimate than inviting somebody into your home. There's not anything more that says that I'm not against you than inviting somebody and looking to them. And this is what I've discovered because I'm a dad. And I'm a grandfather, and I've, I've worked with people's kids for decades, and I've noticed this about most of us. Almost all of us have this in common. 
That when our kids are in a desperate situation, there's not anything we won't do to help them. Whatever we have to give up, whatever we have to risk ourselves, whatever we have to put on the line, we're willing to do that. Because they're our kids. At that moment, our job is not as important. Our position, our title, our social approval, all of those things are not as important. And here's Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, publicly going to Jesus and saying, my daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her and she'll be healed and she'll live. Well, they begin to take their trip and uh, the journey to his house. Jesus is walking with him and there's this crowd pressing in. And there's a lady, she has an issue of blood in her body. And according to the law, she's not even supposed to be in public. So she takes a chance and she touches Jesus' garment. And, she, and his presence, his power goes into her and he feels that leave him. And he stops and he says, who did that? And they say, well, Master, you see everybody. Everybody's touching. He said, no, no, no. Somebody, somebody like touched me differently. It was like with faith and, and it left me. And so he stopped and engages this woman who had been rejected by society for such a long time. And begins to talk to her. And she tells him her story. I was sick all these years. Spent a lot of money on doctors. Didn't get any better. Got worse. And so he's taking his time with her. And I'm sure Jairus, you know, it's a desperate moment. His daughter's sick at the point of death. And as he's finishing up his conversation with this lady, it says this, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw such commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. Now, you say, how could they make that change from mourning to that? Well, it was kind of an odd thing in their culture. They would actually pay for mourners. You would pay people, and they would come and professionally mourn at your home. And so that's why they were able to kind of make that, you know, that change because not all of them were family members or friends. They were people, this is how they made their living. They mourned at your house. It was kind of a social thing. And so, there was, so then they began to laugh at him. And he says this, says, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. So we have this encounter with this ruler of the synagogue who, again, we don't know what his stance is, but all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. His daughter has a need. I, I see this happen over, you know, the truth matters. We'll, we'll do anything, you know, to help our kids and our grandkids. You know, I'm, I'm just so grateful. You know, my, my son is down here and my daughter-in-law, and, you know, and they have two girls, and they they bring them to church, man. It means just so much to me. And so they serve them. I love being around with them. I know that um, I'm blessed and that all three of my kids, they, they take kids to church. We'll just do silly things. Several years ago, I, I don't know why, I think Ashley had to go, but I was with Jake and Ashley at Buffalo Wild Wings, and she had to go and do something. And, and, and I, for whatever reason, it was June and Eli. And so there was a, like a claw machine that, you, you know, that you, just, you just flush money down into it. And so, and so June does it, and the worst thing that can happen, June, who doesn't care, 
you know, she, the very first time she tries, she gets a little stuffed animal. She didn't care. You does care? Eli. Several dollars later, and I'm out of money. He didn't win anything. And so he throws like this world-class fit in the middle of the restaurant. I'm like, I, can we leave him? I mean, I don't know. What do we do, you know? And so, so we go. And so, you know, he didn't win anything. Well, a few weeks ago, he's at another place, and, and um, there, you know, Tina, who's, um, we, she thinks we make more money than we do. And so she was with, with Eli, and he came, he, so he was at the claw machine again. And I didn't know her. I would have stopped it and, like, closed the thing. You'd have seen me on Fox News. I mean, it would have been one of those things. And so, um, so he came, and he said, Papa, he has, like, this armful of junk. And he said, I, I won these things in the claw machine. I'm like, oh, thank God. And so, so then... He gave me something. He said, I want you to put this on your mirror. And so, do you guys show that? So, like, <laughs> can, I, can I be real honest with you? I'm not a dice on the mirror kind of guy. <laughs> and so, like, if you're like, is Pastor shooting craps now? I mean, what's going on there? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no, man, you know, when your grandkid gives you dice to hang from your mirror, you hang dice from your mirror. I'm just grateful it was dice. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, You know, because it's, it's what you do. You're like, how long are you going to have them? I guess till I die. I guess I'm going to have dice in my mirror, you know. That's a really nice pickup. You got dice hanging on. Don't ask me. Okay, anyway, so, so we do that. But we, you know, so that's just a, an example in our life. I, I, I remember this when we moved back to Vertigris. We met this family named the Parnells. I don't know if they're here this morning. They go to church here. And um, their son Kyle and my son Daniel became great friends. And so um, one night, Kyle was, uh, he was riding his four-wheeler. He was in an accident. It was a horrible accident. They had the life flight him. He blue-lined or red-lined or whatever they call it. He flat-lined. Flat-lined. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, yeah, code blue, flat-lined. Thank you. Anyway, so a few times. It was critical. They didn't think he was going to make it. They couldn't even turn him because they weren't sure he could, like, survive that. And so we were there with the family. Kyle was like, another son to us, and um, you know, he's going to make it. And we, so there wasn't a lot we felt like we could do. By the way, also, the reason why the scripture doesn't say, hey, when, those, when there are people that weep, you just say really inspirational things, it doesn't say that. It says when people weep, what do you do? You weep with them. Just weep with them. And that was not a challenge because we love this family. So there wasn't a lot we could do. We said we can help them, like we can provide food here and there. I'm talking about we as a church. You know, if they need a hotel to kind of stay, to, to go, we can help them with that. And, and so one night, you know, we bought pizza, and, they, and there was a, a lady there that was, I think, Kyle's aunt. Yeah, it was aunt. And she had lost her mother at a young age, and so she wasn't on speaking terms with God at this point. And you can understand that as a little girl, you lose your parent at a young age. How do, you, how do you resolve that? You say, why did that happen? I don't know. I could make up some excuse or reason, but I, they're just things I don't know. But she comes in and she knows the need. It's her nephew in there. She loves him and loves his family. And she's like, who brought the pizza? They said, well, our church did. Our church got it here for us. And that just was kind of like this seed that like, tunk. 
as time went on, man, there were just some incredibly supernatural things that happened. Kyle's health began to be restored. You said, Pastor, why didn't that happen to every kid? Again, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I know in this moment as that continued to happen, and I wasn't even aware of their aunt's story. I didn't know her at the time. But we were able as a church, just what we could, just hearing their help, and it, it resonated so much with her that as Kyle began to recover and began to come back to church, that she showed up at church with him. Yeah. Gave her life to Jesus through a, rela- through a relationship here when Jennifer Kern went here. They, they wanted a kid, and, and they were able to adopt a little girl of their own. And, and, I mean, they have a relationship with God now. But it was one of those things that in her own pain that she didn't understand as a little girl, and I don't even understand as an adult, that as she sees what's taking place in her nephew's life, and what we're able to do as a congregation, this person that probably a month before that would not have even considered going to church, serves God. It's because of this. When you reach kids, you reach families. We're engaged in our kids' lives. When you reach kids, you reach families. That those that would have said no before when their child has a need and it seems like the only place it can be met is with Jesus. Their history is irrelevant. Their prejudicial thoughts towards the church are irrelevant. All that matters is who can help my kid. That's why it matters. That's why kids matter. Jesus told us to bring them to him. He, he called us to do that. He said that he sees what we do, that there's a reward, that his presence, there's a reward that takes place with that. And when we reach them, their families are impacted as well. We, we reach their families. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I, I want to, I want you, we've got our students, they're finished up camp this morning. They're going to be in our third service. And I want you to pray for them just there in that secret place that anything that God's done in them, that it'll be rooted in them, transforming. I, I was some of them's age, whenever God would deal with me about things and the trajectory of those moments still impacts me today, decades later. Tomorrow, elementary-age kids are going to camp. We have over 100 elementary-age kids going to camp tomorrow. Over 100. And there's a, there's a lot of work, a, a lot of money going at it. That doesn't cover all the costs. And, you know, some of them, because of the position, we've had to help them go. We don't want to say to anybody, you can't go because of money. And so we want to pray that they have an encounter with God, man. Please pray for us in that. Please pray that that will take place. And then when you're done with that, pray for your own kids. Call their name out. In the, I mean, just there in your heart, in that secret place, bring their name before God. They, they may be little, or they may be adults that, for whatever reason, maybe have distanced themselves a little, you know, from faith for whatever reason in this season. 
be their, be their advocate, be their intercessor. Go stand before God with their name. Let's just spend a moment in God's presence. Let's just pray.